0: Man, it's so good to be together. January was great. We're already in February. Can you believe it? We've had one month, our first series, The Blessed Life. How many appreciated that moment? So hopefully that will be something you will continue to read, that book. And some of you have probably signed up for Financial Peace University. This month, February, we're starting a new series. How are you doing emotionally? Hmm. Yeah. How are we? right? So for the month of February, the first three weeks, our focus will be based on a book that I've read uh, called The Emotionally Healthy Church. Uh, The author is Pete Scazzaro and it's a great book. When I read it, I thought, God, thank you. I so appreciate um, uh, this book that was birthed out of uh, a painful journey for he and his wife, Jerry. Uh, They pastor a church in New York, and um, I've been able to just read the book and see some things online and been greatly encouraged. In fact, last year, we had a moment where we went away, staff, leaders, and uh, read some of the book together. There's a survey in the book. Uh, The survey has two parts. Part A really talks about um, a measure of where you are with regard to your devotional life, prayer, word, things like that, and you know, there's a score you can get in all these areas, and most of us all did really, really well on that. Part B spoke to the emotional uh, aspect of who we are. And when, you, when we took that survey, you could, across seven principles that he outlines in the book, a chapter devoted to each, you could find yourself being in any one of those areas, an emotional uh, infant all the way up to emotional adult in between child, adolescence, things like that. I remember taking a survey and on one particular of the principles, which you'll hear about as we go through the series, um, I, I wasn't sure whether to go with two or three in terms of the rating. And um, I went with three. I thought, you know, you know I, I think I'm a three here. And um, uh, so, uh, no, I put two, I put two. So when I finished the survey in that particular area, I was an emotional child. I did not like the idea of being an emotional child. So I moved it to three and that pushed me to adolescence. <laughs> But then I called home and spoke to my family, and I said, hey, on this question, they said, you know, you should consult with your family, friends. So what do you all think? And they're like, oh, definitely two. So I went back to being a child. But at least I was honest, and that boosted me in other parts of the survey. So I hope here's the book. It's called The Emotionally Healthy Church. I know it's um, not something you can maybe see if you're in the back or behind a column, but uh, this is something that I think would be helpful for you individually, helpful for us as a church. So today is the start of that series. Sound good? All right, here's here's the the statement of the book, um, that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. That's really the point of the book. In fact, he goes so far as to say it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally unhealthy or emotionally immature. So that's the point he's making. And he actually... Uh, looks at the church historical and talks about where they became a moment where there was sort of a de-emphasizing of who we are in terms of emo- who we are emotionally, right? We're human beings, part of being a human being, meaning we're spiritual being, intellectual being, emotional being, spiritual being, all, physical being, all that's part of it. But if we neglect the emotional side, can we really be spiritually mature if we're not paying attention to the emotional, right? And so he, he speaks about that. And here's, um, here are the seven principles that came out of this you ready number one look beneath the surface number two break the power of the past three live in brokenness and vulnerability four receive the gift of limits five embrace grieving and loss six make incarnation your model for living well or loving well and then seven which was the newest in this edition slow down to lead With integrity. So in that he talks about developing a lifestyle with their silence and solitude and the importance of doing this. How many could benefit from that? I wanted to read this to you. This is in the forward. The Bible does not overlook the emotional quotient of our humanity. Its characters, Joseph's brothers in their sibling rivalry, Moses in his anger, Paul in his tearful longing for a visit from Timothy, Uh, his son in the faith, were real people with real emotions. Any real people with real emotions here this morning? Um, He said, our Lord himself had a powerful emotional life as a man who could weep in sorrow, be strong in anger, and and yet experience the fullness of joy. I love this because he makes a point about Jesus his deity and his humanity and oftentimes when we think of Jesus we may tend to look uh, closer at his deity uh, his strengths I think about superheroes and how growing up as a kid all the superheroes just always had it all together right you never saw them sick with a cold fever in bed you never right superheroes are just always at at their a-game which is why I love the Incredibles right a family of supers but you see them in their humanity. Um, But Jesus wept, he grieved, he rejoiced, uh, he was angry, and he experienced sorrow. But he was emotionally healthy in the expression of all of that. And I think uh, it's very important that we understand the integration of emotional health and biblical spirituality. I think there's one other thing I wanted to point out. Um, Let me go back a page. Good so far? So he gives some examples of what it looks like in balanced spirituality. Um, He said, the sad truth is that too little difference exists in terms of emotional and relational maturity between God's people inside the church and those outside who claim no relationship to Jesus Christ. Uh, Even more alarming, when you go beyond the praise and worship of our large meetings and conventions and into the homes and small group meetings of God's people, you often find a valley littered by broken and failed relationships. Uh, Do any of the following people remind you of someone in your church? Now, uh, parenthetical, this is what he's saying. This is not me. So I read this like, oh, that's me. And I'm not saying that, okay? The board member, see, as soon as you say it, right? The board member who never says, I was wrong or sorry. Uh, The children's church leader who constantly criticizes others. The high control, small group leader who cannot tolerate different points of view. The middle-aged father of two toddlers who is secretly addicted to pornography, the 35-year-old husband busily serving in the church, unaware of his wife's loneliness at home, um, the Sunday school teacher struggling with feelings of bitterness and resentment toward the pastor, but afraid to say anything, uh, the exemplary servant who tirelessly volunteers in four different ministries but rarely takes any personal time to care uh, of the, for care of themselves, uh, care of himself or herself. Two sisters who use prayer meetings to escape from the painful reality of their marriage. Um, the people in your small group who are never transparent about their struggles or difficulties. So that's just the beginning of it. And when I read it, I thought, God, this is so good. Um, it, it, it really is very good. And so there's so much more we could say just from this introductory. But I want to move to the first principle, which is uh, looking beneath the surface. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that we would find grace from you, not to avoid, um, but to to engage with you in looking beneath the surface in our own lives. Amen. Amen. All right. I want to read uh, for you uh, our text, which doesn't come from the book that he wrote, but from God's book, the Bible. And Invite you to join me in Genesis chapter. Give me a moment. Thirty-two, verses one and two, and then verses twenty-two through thirty. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, "This is the camp." of God. So he named that place Mahaning. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. This is a moment of looking beneath the surface. Uh, Jacob is a man identified in the Bible as being part of the genealogy of Christ beginning with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the same Jacob who in this passage wrestles with God and his name is changed from Jacob to Israel and becomes the people of God. But it has application for all of us. Uh, Something to note about the genealogy of Christ is that his line was blessed, the favor of God, um, gifted, and it's important that we understand that God's favor, his blessing, his gifting grace rests on us, and that still requires a need for us to look beneath the surface and to grow emotionally and become mature. So here's Jacob, and a little backdrop to the story so that we understand this moment and its context. Um, how does he happen to be at this place? Um, he's married, has two wives, not a good idea. Um not even a God idea. And, uh, but culturally it was practiced. And um, he finds himself returning home to the place he had to abandon earlier in life because of the dysfunction in his family. Um, Jacob is a twin. And it's really something. I know this past week um, it was advertised a lot on TV. Maybe some of you saw triplets. An amazing story. Anybody see that? Uh, about triplets who were separated at birth and met each other when they were uh, later in life, like 19, and just all the things you discover about the union and relationship. Here we have twins. They're fraternal. They're not identical. I spoke with the twin uh, in between our services today, so it was great to connect with him. And Jacob is the younger of of, uh, his brother Esau, and they are the children of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. So you need to know that context. When Jacob was born, uh, it's important to note that he and his brother, mom had a tough pregnancy. Uh, They were wrestling from the womb. And at the time of birth, in fact, it was said to her when she went to seek, uh, inquire of God, what is going on with me in this pregnancy? Anyone ever prayed that? Lord, have mercy. Uh, Turning, tossing her and the kids in her. And when Uh, She goes to inquire of the Lord and says, there are two nations inside of you that are wrestling. um, And the older will serve the younger. And it's important to hear what God says, but also understand that while something is his will, it is not our responsibility to figure out his way to bring it, our own way to bring about his will. I've seen this pattern through scripture where someone understands the will of God, but then they go about their way, not his way to bring it about. And so I love this family. Um, I appreciate, I recognize that every family has uh, some dysfunction, um, some more than others. And we're going to move toward that when we talk about, you know, breaking from the things in the past, because some of what you're born with didn't begin with you, it's on your line. And there has to be an awareness of what's going on in your life and an awareness of what may be coming down through your line. Both blessing and curse can run down your line, and God wants to stop the curse and let the blessing remain. But it all uh, has a lot to do with us responding to this grace and favor of a loving God. And the great thing about uh, looking beneath the surface is at the heart of this and the encouragement, God desires us to walk in freedom and to overcome things that overcome us. He doesn't want us to be overcome with a lot of the things in life that we've been subject to. That we just relegate to, that's just the way I am, when it's not the way God made us. So there's a place for freedom, but it requires at least looking beneath the surface. So here, um, Jacob is born. Uh, Esau comes out first. And as he comes out of the womb, Jacob is actually holding on to Esau's heel, the heel of his foot. So he comes out. We're talking, I don't know who... That's, that's not even a second, the, uh, the, the twin I was talking to, I think he said they were born maybe minutes apart, I can't remember uh, what Paul told me. But, but this is not even minutes, this is like he came right out holding on to him. So when they saw him come, come out of the womb holding on to Esau's heel, he called him uh, Jacob. That's how he got the name Jacob, which means deceiver, it means supplanter, uh, grabber, all those things. There's nothing positive about, I'm sorry. For all the Jacobs in the room, I, it, it just hit me. Hey, I'm Jake. Hey, man. Love you, Jake. And the, and the great thing is when you're in the line of Christ, you get his name. So it matters not what someone else called you. Yes. All right. Stay with me, Jake. Stay with me. I hope I have a grandson named Jake. Okay. All right. Anyway. So he comes out grabbing onto his heel. And uh, so they called him that grabber deceiver, right? It, 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 was, it was something that marked who he was and the way he lived his life. So we see this as they're growing up. Esau, the older brother, was um, when he came out, he had red hair. He was hairy all over, and he remained that way throughout his life. He had a full beard, chest hair, back. I mean, he was that, thing, that guy walking on the beach like he's got hair everywhere. That was Esau. He also was a hunter, He enjoyed the sport of hunting and whatever the kill, he would bring it home and make something of it and give it to his father. His father loved Esau. Daddy favored Esau. Say, boy, go get me some. Make me some of that goat that, 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 that I'm thinking about. Some of you from those places, you know how to do curry and roti and hell. Come on. Don't leave me out there. It's all about the sauces, right? Indian sauces, Caribbean sauces. Angola, wherever you're from, right? It's Chick-fil-A, so it's all about the sauces. Don't fool yourself. You ever taken a Chick-fil-A French fry and, and not just the ketchup, but put it in the Polynesian? <laughs> Wake up, people. Ketchup. Move over. Sometimes you can mix two. All right, it's almost lunchtime. Chick fil A's closed today. Sorry. <laughs> that was yesterday. You can go tomorrow. You can go tomorrow. After the Super Bowl. Woo! Yeah. So, he, that's what he did. Now, they're fraternal twins. So, Jacob's not Harry and all that stuff. And, and uh, he's closer to mom. Mom. Rebecca loves Jacob. So you already got a little thing going on right there. Your dad's favorite, your mom's favorite. We got to talk about that. So uh, one day, Esau goes hunting, comes back. He's famished, hungry. His brother has made this red stew. And he says, give me some of that red stuff. He said, all right, I want your birthright. In the Jewish culture, the firstborn was entitled to the the right of the firstborn, which means the inheritance, you got a double portion, partly so you could care for your other siblings. But honor was bestowed on you for that birthright. He like, said, come on, man, birthright? Are you kidding me? I'm hungry. Give me some of the rest of you. He said, no, I want your birthright. The man sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. That says a lot about him. It says a lot about him. I mean, soup's good, but really, your birthright. But he was famished, so he gave it to him. So that's, That is Jacob. Being Jacob. Yes, you, you get, so just stay with him. There's many more things about him. Then later in life, when Dad Isaac is nearing the time where he knows he's coming to the end of all flesh, the end of his days. He's no man. He's lost his eyesight. He, he has very poor vision. And he and his culture knows before he goes, he needs to confer a blessing on his son. And So he calls for Esau. Men, mamas, confer blessing on your children. Don't speak a curse over them. You're stupid. You'll never get anywhere. I can't believe you do that. Speak blessing. You are the greatest thing God has given me. You're amazing. Speak blessing over them. And may God give you length of days and relationships so that in your days you can speak something over all those descendants that you leave when you pass from here. And you remind them of the things you've put in them all, all the days of your life. And you trust God to do what you couldn't. You have this moment where he says, boy, go make me some of that. Go hunt and give me some of that. Go, you know, make that meal. I like that. tasty, that good stuff. That sauce in it. Because I'm about to die and I want to bless you before I go. Esau goes off. Mama was nearby. I heard the conversation. She goes to twin Jacob. Say, Jacob, 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 I heard your dad. He's about to bless Esau. He's going to hunt. Listen. Go get me two goats. I'm going to make a dad meal. And then you're going to go in, pretend to be your brother, and you're going to get the blessing. Jacob doesn't say, Mom, that's not right. What he says is, whoa, if dad figures out that I'm faking, he's going to curse me. Let the curse be on me. Can you see the dysfunction right there? Esau's excited. This is going to be the best. Oh, I'm about to get blessed. I'm getting the big one today. Before he comes back, Jacob's like, he, he knows I'm not hairy. I mean, we can't, I know we can't see mom, but we can't fool him. That's dysfunction. And what happens in the next moment, she says, I got it. I'll take care of it. She has clothes in her closet that are Esau's best clothing, which smell like him. Your clothes take on your odor, all that. So he, Jacob puts on his brother's clothes. After putting on his brother's clothes, mom, after cooking the goat, takes the goat's skin and puts it on him, on his neck and his arms so that he is hairy. So now Jacob goes in to see his dad and says, dad, it's me. Dad says, who's there? Who are you? Esau, your firstborn. How would you get you so quick? I just sent you. Yeah, God was with me today. I hear, I hear the sound of Jacob, though. Ask me, Dad. Come close. Come close. Let me, let me feel you. Touches his arms. They're hairy. And then when the aroma coming off of the clothing just wafts over him, he goes, Ah, oh, the smell of my son is like the field. And he goes into this magnificent blessing that he pronounces over his son. And in Dad's mind, it's Esau. But mom and Jacob are all in it together, deceiving him. No sooner than Jacob leaves, receiving a blessing, presenting himself as Esau, Esau comes in and says, I'm here, dad. He goes, now I can really hear it's Esau. Who was that who just left? What are you talking about? Your brother came, he uses these words, deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau wept bitterly. It's the second time. You ever been mad at your sibling? You ever wanted to hurt your sibling? You ever hurt your sibling? <laughs> yes to all three. I'm honest. Yes to all three. Mad out of my mind. Told my mother, he's dead. Left home for three months because he knew he was dead. I was not born a pastor. <laughs> not born saved was not born right and I still get angry but not like I did then you have this moment where Esau's mad and he's swearing he's gonna kill him and mom hears it so then he she killed Jacob you got to get out of here your brother's consoling himself with after dad's die he's gonna kill you but he's gonna wait till dad dies go to the funeral Then he's going to kill you. So I want you to go back to my homeland where I grew up. We're going to send you to the West Coast. You hang out there. I will send a text when you can come home. Don't, don't, don't call your brother. Stay off Facebook. You know, you know. And he tells, tells, she tells her husband, I don't want Jacob to marry any of these women around here, these Hittites. Send them back to where I grew up. So they send them off. And the brothers are now separated. We'll get to the rest of his story later. But after years, he's now married. He has great possessions. And um, he breaks relationship with his uncle Laban. And now he's coming back home. Esau. You got that thing in your past where you don't want to confront it again? He's coming back. And as he's coming back, he has... Great wealth, great possessions, servants, male and female, kids, 11. And he comes to this place that we read earlier. He named that place the camp of God, the place of God. There's no better place to find yourself than in the place of God. It says that the angels of God met him. Here's a man who beneath the surface is deceitful, yet God still meets him. I want to say that again in the hearing of every man and woman in this place. We are followers of Jesus, most of us, I believe. And yet there are things beneath the surface in our life that God will take a moment to meet us and to take us beneath the surface because he wants to make us mature in places where we've been immature longer than we needed to have been. And only God can bring it about. You, Only God can do it. Only God can do it. He finds himself in the place of God. He meets God, and you've got to understand that just before this he's been given word, He' sent word ahead. send some messengers tell Esau I'm coming. and he begin, and then the word comes back, Esau's coming with 400 men. He was terrified, petrified. I mean, he, he was like 400. He about to roll up deep. He's like said he was fearful, distressed. Have you? See, pain is the stimulus, the catalyst for taking you beneath the surface. We'll only look so deep, but pain will catalytically bring you to that place of wrestling with God that we would otherwise avoid. So then let me not resist or avoid pain, particularly if it's God in process with me to bring about something that needs to happen in me, for which up to this point, everyone outside me is the problem. So I love this moment when he hears that he's coming with 400 men, he's scared. You know, in our culture, side note, and I'll come back, we're taught from childhood, particularly as boys, be a man. Don't show emotion. Real men don't. Jesus wept. And he's the realest man I know. There's strength in weeping, not weakness. You see, we experience emotions, but we need to know how he walked it out. He is the best example of a man with emotions on the earth who had it all together and then some. But we're taught playing football. Hit him. Oh, get up, stop crying, boy. Stop that cry. And then boys with mama come running down on the field. Get them. Don't, don't, don't. That's the last thing you want is your mama to come bandage you up while you knock down on the field. That pain is worse than you getting knocked down. You lay on the ground. Walk away, mom, walk away, walk away, walk away, walk away. Men like, that boy ain't hurt. 400 men coming. Our culture hasn't helped us understand how we process our emotions well. So it affects how we relate with each other when you're dating. It just, it just runs through everything. May God teach us how to be men and women who are emotionally mature, real with our feelings, and it be all good. So he knows Esau's he coming. He's terrified. He sends sheep ahead. He, he makes all these groups that go way ahead of him. And in sending them ahead, the whole point is, as Esau comes, he says, when you see my brother, just say, and he says, who do these sheep belong to? Or who do these goats belong to? Say, your servant, Jacob, and these are a gift to you. So he kept giving him gifts before he could get to him because he was trying to pacify him, the Bible says, that he might stave off some of his anger. But that night, after he sent his wife and kids ahead of him, he was alone in this camp. And it says a man came to him and wrestled him until daybreak. He doesn't know who it is. My best guess is he's thinking, Esau got me. And it, was, it wasn't wrestling like a conversation. It was... F- Brandon. <laughs> He could have put me on the ground at any time he wanted. Football player from Georgetown. We got a lot of athletes in this church. And men who used to be. (laughs) And women who used to be. How tired would you be? You ever watch wrestling? All night they're wrestling. The struggle with God... Can go on longer than you think. Where he is taking you beneath the surface. And dealing with something that's been there so long that you have resigned. It's just the way I am. But he goes, it's not the way I am. And because I'm conforming you into my image and like this. We're going to work on you even in the seat of your emotions. And so they're wrestling and struggling. And, and he is... It's painful. In fact, he told and said, Get, let me go, and he wouldn't. And then all of a sudden, he touched his hip socket. Now, he's wrestling with God, but understand, at any point, God can body slam you. <laughs> he's wrestling with them in love. He's like, I need to touch you. I need to help you. And so he, he then does something that dislocates his whole joint. The socket pops off his hip, and then he says, now let me go. And Jacob goes, I won't let you go until you bless me now at daybreak he realized it wasn't Esau you need revelation that's what happens daybreak at night he couldn't see but in the morning he could see he thought it was Esau he thought it was whoever but now he knows it's not Esau I'm wrestling with God it takes revelation to open your eyes to see you're not really wrestling with who you think you are I'm not wrestling with my brother I'm not wrestling with my mom. I'm not wrestling with my cousin. I'm not wrestling with the leader. I'm not wrestling with a friend. You're not wrestling with who you think you are. You're wrestling first with God. And he has you engaged in this struggle. And a daybreak revelation comes. I'm seeing God face to face. I'm facing myself and I'm facing God. And some of us stop at revelation. But Jacob goes, I won't let you go until you bless me. Daybreak is revelation. That's good, but church, let's not stop there. Blessing is where transformation occurs. Let's not stop short with revelation. Oh, did you hear that? That was the most exciting. It is, but it looks better when it shows up as transformation. And he says, what is your name? He asks him, what is your name? And he says, my name is Jacob. The last time he was trying to get a blessing, he presented himself as someone else. And he wasn't dealing with the real issues beneath the surface. He presented, we live in a culture that is constantly presenting themselves as someone else. You're someone else on Facebook. You're someone else on Twitter. You're someone else in person. We don't really know the real you because we constantly have learned to put on somebody else. Intentionally and at times unintentionally. We pick up other people's habits and patterns. And so this time he's not presenting himself as someone else. And God says, to really change you, you've got to tell me. we got to start with where you really are. I am a deceiver. And I have been my whole life. Your grace has been on me. Your favor has been on me. But emotionally in this area, I've deceived. I've manipulated. I've messed with people my whole life. My brother, I'm going to change your name today. I'm not just changing your name. I'm changing you. From now on, your name will be Israel. Because you have fought with God. You have struggled with God and with humans and you've overcome. He didn't overcome God. He didn't overcome humans. He overcame the deceit in his own life. And he left the place of God, the face of God, a changed man. And then Esau shows up right after that. They hug and love and kiss because when you get something right with you and God... Now you can get right with other people. This is what God wants to do in all of us. And it's ongoing. It's like an iceberg. 10% is above, 90% is beneath, and there are layers and layers and layers and layers and layers. But his love is deeper. When God said he loved you, he meant all of it. Even though you only see 10% because we need help with awareness, asking the right questions, and finding the link between emotional health and biblical spirituality. Father, I thank you for being so faithful to us, not just in this moment, but you really, like Jacob, you cause us to look beneath the surface And in this room, beneath the surface, fear runs deep. Anger runs deep. Shame can run deep. Um, There are all kinds of things we can be experiencing emotionally. But may we not be afraid to look beneath the surface and wrestle with you, even as we feel like we're wrestling with others, trying to sort it all out. But would you bring us to daybreak? A revelation of you. And then don't let us go, but bless us. So we have transformation and we look more like you beneath the surface, not a facade above the surface. There may be someone here this morning, and in fact, I just a general question. Anyone here, just raise your hand and you say, this has application for me personally. Raise your hand. Yeah, most of us, I know it does for me. Some of us need to begin a relationship with Jesus and we wanna invite you into that relationship. Some of us, we already have a relationship, but like Jacob, for most of our lives, there's been things beneath the surface. For you, it might not be deception. That might not be the simple pattern that is running your life. It might be something else, but God wants to do that work in you. So Father, I pray a blessing on us of transformation. I look at all the people in this room, the men, the women, single, married, kids. You can speak to all of us and you can take us all beneath the surface of our lives and though it's painful may we stay in it with you long enough to see it go from dark to daybreak and long enough for transformation you might we might get injured in the process but may we not think of that injury as something bad but that's you working on us this man limped and you changed the way he walked I pray this for this church amen